So, good morning. Glad you're here today. And uh, I want to tell you right from the very beginning, this waiting process is no fun. We're not great waiters, right? How many of you have ever been like in an emergency room and you're waiting for like six or seven hours just to see a doc? Anybody like that? that you've had that experience? How many enjoyed that? I don't think many of us enjoy that kind of experience. We're not great waiters. We, ju we just don't do waiting well. And probably it's because the truth is, is that we've been conditioned by our culture to be fast-paced and moving and not sitting and slowing down and really hearing what God has for us. So I want to start with the verse of Scripture this morning. It's found in the Psalms. It's Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> Excuse me, and this is what it says. I wait for Yahweh. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and his word, in his word do I hope. Now, I want you to notice with me the intensity of this psalmist here, the intensity of what is happening here. The psalmist is really desiring to get the attention of God. So he says, my soul waits for the Lord, for Yahweh, more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. So the question that I want to look at for just a few minutes today is why does God put us in a position to wait on him? We all, you know, we all are in that situation uh, regularly. So why is it that God puts us in that particular place? Because truthfully, waiting is not our strong suit. It just is not. We typically don't wait for very many things. Think about this. Think about the idea of the culture that you and I live in. Retailers are jumping into the same-day delivery system because they realize that if they, can provide a, if they can provide immediate gratification for you, you're more than likely to buy again. That's what they're doing there. So they have developed this same-day stuff. You, you know, it's amazing what they can do. Smartphones, smart apps uh, can do nearly anything. You can eliminate the wait for a cab, you Uber, a date, a table, a rest at a restaurant. I mean, the bottom line is, is that with the culture that you and I live in, we don't have to hardly wait on anything. And get this, uh, AI can write a 2,000-page paper in 30 seconds. I'm thinking, good night. Where was that when I was in seminary? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, had to, I don't know if you know what this means. I'm going to say some things you probably don't know, what I'm, even the words that I'm using. I had to use a typewriter. And I had to, you know, you know there's, and I, there's a word that you probably don't know. It's called whiteout. <laughs> Have you ever heard of whiteout? I mean, it's, you know, that's the culture that, when I went to seminary, that's what I had to do. I had to use whiteout, and oftentimes you just start over. I mean, you know, you, you know, there wasn't this delete button or this, you know, this thing that you could just change things around. Bottom line is, is that you and I are not great waiters. And then, when you think about that, movies and TV shows can, we can begin streaming in a minute. And, you know, just, you know, just with our apps, Research shows how long that people are willing to wait for different things. So let me just share with you some of those things. For example, we wait 13 seconds before we honk at the car in front of us before, you know, while they're on their, while they're on their cell phone, you know, texting at a stop sign or stoplight. We wait 13 seconds and then we lay on the horn. Anybody ever done that? Come on now. I've been the guy you're honking at all this time. <laughs> I'm just saying. And then there's 26 seconds. You know what that represents? That's... 26 seconds before we shush somebody for talking in a movie theater. And then my all-time favorite, I wait one second for that kid in back of me that's kicking my seat, one second. 
before I just change seats and I get and kick his seat, you know, I just get back to him and start kicking his seat, you know, just, I don't, it's probably just the flesh in me, I don't know what it is, but I'm not patient with that. Anybody, anybody love it when somebody in the back of you in a theater kicks your seat? I mean, does anybody love that? Come on now, we hate that, right? And we're not very patient in that process. And then 45 seconds before we ask someone who's talking too loud on a cell phone to please keep it down, 45 seconds, we're giving a little grace there. The price tag for all of that, when you think about the price tag, is that when God asks us to wait, we are not great waiters in the process of what God wants to do. And as a result, we forfeit some of what God is trying to do in our life because we miss the point of what waiting is all about. And so that's what I want to talk about today. So if you brought your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along with me. I think we're going to look at a lot of Scripture, but... Uh, I want to just simply say this. Many of you know that I have struggled with a long-term illness. It, it's been almost debilitating for me. And uh, so this sermon is written out of the experience that I had with God in the waiting process. And I'm still ill. I'm still waiting for God to do what he's going to do. And uh, I have good days and bad days still. And I'm still in that process of waiting. So what I want you to hear is this, this isn't something you're going to read in a book. This isn't something you are going to, you know, just, you know, Google. I'm going to tell you from my life experience what I've learned in the process of waiting on God and what God does in your life and what we're supposed to be doing in that waiting process as we seek God through that. So there are many reasons why I think God asks us to wait. So we're going to talk about some of those. I think there are three things. There are three things that stand out to me of why God asks us to wait. And, you know, just to be clear, how many right now are waiting on God to do something specific in their life? Anybody here like that? Nearly the entire audience is raising their hand. The rest of you, you just don't know you're waiting yet. You, you know, you'll find out that you actually are. So there are, there are many reasons why I think God asks us to wait, but let me suggest to you that there are three specific things that God has taught me. First of all, I'm reminded in a very clear way when God puts me in the waiting room, I am very, this is very clear on this, that I am not in charge. I'm just not in charge of hardly anything. The only thing that I can be in charge of is my next step of obedience to Christ. That's the only thing that I'm in charge of. I have no, no say in the outcomes of what God is doing. I have none whatsoever. I have none whatsoever. I cannot control the outcome of what I want God to do. And I've often thought the idea of if I were God, you know, I, I would probably answer prayers differently. Have you ever thought that? Which brings me to the next idea that I've learned is that I'm not God. I'm just simply not God. And, and the sooner that I realize that I'm not God, that I'm not in charge, that I'm not God, and that there's nothing that I can do except obey God, the better off that I am. Uh, that I am. So the bottom line for you and I, as we walk through our waiting room, is that we've got to determine right up front that I might as well just relax. I might as well just let go because I can't control anything that's going to be an outcome. I just can't. And the biggie that I find in Scripture 
is that God in the waiting room is forging out character in my life that that's the only place that he can train me in. When I'm in the waiting room, that's where he forges out the kind of character that he wants inside of my life. And that is a very difficult thing. I don't learn this in Bible studies. I learn it in the waiting room with God. And so if you're going through something big right now, I just want you to know you can't control the outcome, but you can know this for sure. God is at work in your life, and he's forging out in your life character that can only be produced in that setting, in that way. So there's a guy that I want to put on the screen. I want to put a quote on the screen. This is, the wor- this is worth the price of admission here today. So listen to this very carefully. This is Ben Patterson. This is what he says about waiting. He says, waiting is not just the thing we do until we get what we hope for. Waiting is the process of becoming what we hope for. Now let me say that to you one more time. The reason that God delays his answers to your to your questions and to your prayers is because he's forging out in your life a character. It's what you're becoming. That's the issue. It's not what you're hoping for. In fact, the reality is, is when we get what we hope for, oftentimes we realize that's not what I even wanted because we discover that it's not really satisfying and we thought we, we thought we knew what we wanted and we're asking God and we're asking God, but he is God and we're not and he knows what we need and so he is forging out in our life the idea of becoming something different than I am. Here's what you need to know. Look at me when I say this, smile at me when I say this to you. This is so good. I'm gonna just tell you right up front, God isn't done with you yet. He's changing you right now. I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you're a brand new believer. I don't care if you've, been, if you've known the Lord for 80 years. I'm just telling you right now, God is in the business of changing you. There's something in you that God wants to change, and he wants it to change more than you want it to change, because he knows that it's the only way that you can reflect the glory of God inside of your life. So this is so good, so rich, so powerful. So just put your seatbelt on, And trust the journey and realize that God is making you to become something other than what you are. He's changing character inside of your life. And if you don't think you need to have your character changed, you better look in the mirror again because you do. You do. So do I. We all need character change. And that's the work that God does in our life until the day that Jesus comes back. So with that in mind, there are two things here that are essential for me to understand. Waiting... When I'm in God's waiting room, waiting proves the genuineness of my faith. It's really easy to confess Christ in the midst of an auditorium like this. It's almost contagious. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But what about, what about when you're in deep pain and deep darkness? Somewhere in your life there's just something going on that's out of your control and you're just miserable. What are you going to do then? So what God does in the waiting room is that he proves the genuineness of our faith because that's the only way that it can happen. We'll know really where we stand with God, not by how we behave in church, but how we behave in the darkness when no one is looking and when I'm in the midst of pain and when I'm in the midst of suffering along my, along my life. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, just in case you think that I made this up, I'm going to show you that I didn't. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says, We have a priceless inheritance. Aren't you glad for that? Amen? Hey, if you don't follow along with me and and respond to me, I'm starting over. I'm just now, okay? 
So aren't you glad that you, are, you have an inheritance before God that cannot be destroyed? Aren't you glad for that? Amen? I am too. I'm grateful. This is a great verse. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of, of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. That's amazing truth. Amen? Amen. Now we come to the hard part. So be truly glad. There's, there's wonderful joy ahead. And he's talking about that day when Jesus comes back. In the, in the meantime, <laughs> there's some things you're going to have to know. And here it is. Even though you must endure many trials for a while, look at me closely. Don't miss this. I don't care if there are preachers on TV that tell you that God wants to prosper you and give you great things all the day of your life. I'm telling you that Peter, the, the one who is an expert on this subject, says for your days, you are going to have suffering. That's what's in front of you. That's what the Bible says. So any preacher that is just proclaiming a prosperity gospel that God just wants to prosper you, I'm just telling you, they're just absolutely wrong. And they contradict the very words of God. Amen? That's what Peter says. So Peter says, many trials uh, for a while are awaiting you. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. That's what Peter says. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold through your faith Though, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So even if you don't see the result today, God is changing your character for sure. He's testing the genuineness of your faith. You need to know how genuine you are. You can deceive yourself, right? You can, you, can, you can deceive yourself, but the reality is, is that trials come and all that stuff is burned away and now I know exactly where I stand before God. And you know, the reality of this passage of Scripture, you know what this passage says, is that I might not even know how powerful this is until the day that Jesus Christ comes back and I hear these words, well done, you good and faithful servant. So on that day, it's going to be revealed how genuine my faith really is. So waiting purifies me. That's what it does. And then waiting prepares me for the future. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, it says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Now what does that verse have to do with the future? The Bible says this, is that if you humble yourself before God, He's going to lift you up. So in the midst of your trials, those trials produce a humility. You participate with that humility. And as you humble yourself before God, he then gives you the power to be sustained. And in that process, he is glorified from start to finish. So in my trials, in this process, what should be, what's the proper focus that I should have? How should I respond to the trials that I'm currently in? What should I be doing? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. When stuck in waiting, when you're in the waiting room, when you're in God's waiting room, focus on what God wants you to do, not on what you want God to do. So when you came in here this morning, Grayson said, what is it that you're waiting on God to do? Now I'm going to tell you that's irrelevant. What is relevant 
is what are you supposed to be doing in the meantime? Right now, today, what does God want you to do in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your waiting on God? What is it you're supposed to be doing? That's the focus. And when I understand that focus, and again, in my trial, in my illness, what I've had to learn to do is I've had to learn to renegotiate and really, you know, my, my life has changed because of the illness forever and uh, I, I'm still waiting for God to heal me. But in the meantime, you know, because my ministry has changed, because the illness brought about a, a sudden change to, to what I did here at Grace Church, I mean, for 32 years, I've been on this stage teaching the Word of God. And now God has changed that focus. I'm on the stage still. You know, 30% of the time, Shane's on it 70% of the time. But my role now has, has changed to mentoring Shane. That's my role now. And what I've discovered along the way is that, I mean, I believe that God used me on this stage, but I also believe that God is using me in strange and unusual ways in the midst of my suffering and ways that surprise me as I focus on what is it that God wants me to do. You know, some days I get up and I go, God, what are you doing? And uh, he'll remind me, wait a second here, I've already taught you this. You're not supposed to be focusing on that. You're supposed to be focusing on what is it that you're supposed, you're supposed to be doing. So when I do that, God opens the door for me to speak on his behalf on regular basis. That's how I should be functioning, and that's how you should be functioning. You should have the proper focus when you are in the midst of waiting on God. So your job description before God every day is simply get up and simply say, God, today, what am I supposed to do? Now look at me for a second. This is church, you can't lie to me. Amen? Because God knows your heart right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> you can't lie to me. This is church. Is that what you say every day to God? God, what do you want me to do today? Because that's life-changing. That's a life-changing principle as you wait on God to do whatever it is that he is going to do. So let me see if I can drive this home for you in a way that you'll remember it. So there's an airport in Houston, Houston, Texas, and they were having a lot of customer service complaints because it took so long to get your baggage so they, say, they figured, we've got to solve this problem. So this is what they did. They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to hire, we're going to spend a lot of money on this, and we're going to hire more baggage handlers. So that's what they did. And guess what? The customer complaints didn't go down. In fact, they went up by hiring these, you know, extra hands. So they thought, what are we going to do? So some very smarter than me guy in some executive boardroom said this, why don't we do this? This is a genius idea. Why don't we take the gates that people arrive in and make them farther away from the baggage terminal? <laughs> that sounds ridiculous to me, doesn't it to you? I mean, that sounds stupid. I mean, are you kidding me? You're going to make me walk and, you know, come on now. I'm complaining already. You're going to make me walk now? And this is what they actually did it. They tried this experiment. And you know what they discovered? Their complaints went down from up here to down here because they gave people a purpose in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. A purpose in the process. So now as I'm walking, I've got something to focus on instead of being so ripped off that my baggage isn't here yet. So by the time I get down there, it's right there. I just pick it up and I go out and, and, I, and I'm not mad anymore. I just walk out and get in the cab or I walk out and get in my car. That's, and some genius guy figured that inverted principle out and they practiced it and it actually worked. Now, let's go back to what I'm talking about. The reality for you and me is that when you and I find purpose every day, is that our frustration levels come from way up here to way down here because I'm not focusing on my problem. I'm focusing on what God wants me to do today. Isn't that good? That's what God wants from your life. It is amazing. It's an amazing principle. So this is what I've discovered about being in the waiting room, and I've been in there for some time now. Here's what I've discovered. Sometimes God has the same agenda that I have. He's, gonna, he, he's told me this is what my agenda is, but his clock is different than mine. Have you ever discovered that? His timetable is different. And the most difficult part of my illness, honestly, has been God has been silent in much of my illness. I mean, I'm thinking, God, can't you just at least talk to me? So I want to just share with you some things that I've learned in the silence before God. Because sometimes when I'm in God's waiting room, I'm not getting a lot of information. Like going back to the illustration of being in a, you know, an emergency room, they don't come out and say, oh, it's going to just be another 20 minutes here or so. They just ignore you, right? <laughs> and you just sit there and, you know, finally they call your name. So what I'm saying is that silence sometimes is a part of what God is doing in my life. Did you know that? Sometimes as he's silent in the process, there's more to learn there than there is to learn when he's speaking loudly. So here's what I've learned is that there's a promise that's very helpful to me. And uh, so let me show it to you. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I go to Peter because he knows something about suffering. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, But beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Oh, stink. What does that mean? Here's what it means. We're going to come back to this again, so I want you to don't miss this. God isn't in time. He's outside of time. He created a universe in order and in time. You and I are in time. God is not in time. God lives in a different dimension that you and I live in. And God isn't punching a clock. And so he's using an analogy here saying one day with the Lord is as if it were a thousand years because God isn't in the same clock that you're in. In fact, he's in no clock. In fact, it, this is so good and so powerful. And so sometimes what that creates is because God is out of time. Sometimes that creates a delay, and that delay sometimes has a silence. But here's the promise that I want you to hear. This is what I cling to every day, and that is simply this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the promise here is amazing, that God has given promise, and in his silence, I cling to that promise. He's spoken already. He's spoken already. I grab a hold of that promise of, his, of what it is he said already, and he said he's not slack concerning that. In fact, he, his purpose is for, in our suffering, this kind of 
tells us what it is, is that he, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what this is saying is simply this, is that maybe your delay, maybe your suffering, maybe your circumstances is for the sake of somebody else watching you and seeing your faith and coming to Christ. That's what that verse kind of outlines and un unfolds. God always, always, always has a purpose for my suffering. It, he always does. And here's just a final thought that I, you know, when I say final thought, this is, we're going into the last hour of this message. <laughs> here's a final thought that I just want you to understand. With every, with every turn of the earth on its axis, all of creation groans in agony from the weight of the curse of the fall. There is something they were all waiting on. Well, whether we realize it or not, there's something that happened thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden that created a curse and a burden and, a, and an emptiness of soul that we're all waiting for. We're all waiting for God to correct that. So just think about that for just a minute. We're going to come to a verse. I'll show you this in the verse. So good, so powerful. As for those of us that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we long, we long for that redemption of the earth. By the way, all of creation groans. The earth is under strain. You know why this world is so stressed out? Because there's a curse on it. This world is stressed out because we live under the bondage of the curse that happened thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden that it's going to be corrected someday when Jesus comes back. But the reality is, is that all of creation, animals and rocks and dirt and everything, the entire creation, the stars, all of creation is mourning over this burden that happened. We all live under that burden. Now you have that thought in mind? Now I want to show you a verse of Scripture that is so good. Until then, until Jesus comes back, we then eagerly wait for this redemption because what's going to happen is that this body that I've got, that I look in the mirror and I go, how did it turn out to be like this? That bo this body and your body and my, you know, all, all have one thing in common and look at me when I say this to you. This is so good. Makeup can't help you. It can't, it can't stop the decay. It can't. It just can't. Write your letters to me. I don't care. I'll forward them to Shane and he'll answer them next week for you. I'm just saying, we're all decaying. That's what the Bible says. And we long, we eagerly long for the time when God redeems this brokenness of this world, including the brokenness in my own soul, including the brokenness in my own body. Now, that's all good preaching, but let me show you it from the Bible. Here we go. This is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, and this is what it says. Since all these things are to be dissolved, this whole, everything you see, everything you see is going to be destroyed. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And the implication of that is that until Jesus comes back, you should be longing for holiness and righteousness and godliness in your own life, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Stop here for just a second. I don't, I don't want to go over this quickly because this is so good. Did you know that you can speed up the process of God's return to this planet? Did you know you can? That's what Peter said. Now, did Peter lie to us? 
He says, waiting, waiting, and hastening for the day that Christ returns. So, if God is out of time, right? Meaning outside of time. He's not out of time, but he's outside of time. If God is outside of time, the criteria for God's return isn't a date. He hasn't put on his calendar February 28th, you know, 2029. That's the date that I'm coming back. God doesn't have a date in mind. As I understand Scripture, he's outside of time. God is out. You get that? God is outside of time. He's not on my time clock. So then how does God determine when he's coming back? If he's not on a clock, if he doesn't have a date in mind, how does God determine? And there is a date for you and I, by the way. There is a date. But that's not how God determines it. There will be a date that God comes back. But that's not God's agenda. God has a different agenda of when he comes back. And you know what that is? I don't either. I don't know it either. I just thought maybe, I thought maybe somebody could help a poor preacher out here and let me, you know, and try to help me figure this out. I don't know. I don't, but here's my best guess. Here's my best guess about this passage of Scripture. I'm waiting. I'm longing. I'm desiring God to come back and finally fix this planet. How does God determine when that's going to be? Well, Peter already kind of gave us an indication. He said he's not willing that and he should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So is it possible? I'm just, a, I'm just a bag boy from Fallon, okay? Is it possible, is it possible that when Jesus comes back is determined by the time that the last person on this planet is saved? Is that possible? Is that possible? I'm asking a question. It is possible, isn't it? So how then do I hasten the coming of Jesus? How do I do that? By just simply getting, simply getting up every day in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my waiting on Him, I just obey Him and what He's told me to do and what He's told you to do is something very simple. Make disciples of all the nations. That's what He said when He left the planet. When Jesus left, that's what he said. Make disciples of all the nations. So how do I hasten the day when Jesus comes back? By simply getting up every day and obeying the command to make disciples. By taking advantage of every opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus and his redemptive work, his powerful work in our lives. That's how I do it. And when that happens... Get this, when I am focused, <laughs> this is so good. I love it. This is so good. When I'm focused on that, my waiting doesn't seem like waiting anymore. It seems like obedience. That's what it seems like. And in the midst of my struggle, I mean, honestly, I'm going, yesterday I was so sick and I'm going, God, are you kidding me? I got to preach tomorrow. Don't you know that? And of course he knew that. And he just said to me, just watch and see what I do. Watch and see what I do. And remember what you're teaching on. Focus on what you're supposed to do, not on what you want. Isn't that good? 
And when I do that, and when I do that, when I do that, when I focus on what I'm supposed to be doing, the burden becomes light. I look into the face of Jesus like Grayson sang, and all the troubles and trials and circumstances of my life seem as if they're not. And I promise you, one day, God will fulfill every desire in your heart. It just probably isn't today. So in the meantime, would you join me in just getting up every day as we wait on God, as we wait on God in, his suffer, in the suffering in our life, and would we just focus on, God, what is it you want me to do today, and who, who do you want me to speak to? And when I do that, I'm promising you, God will fill you with his spirit, will give you the power of God in your life, and you're waiting one day, boom. You hear that trumpet, and it's over. And you're in glory. And on that day, you receive from God unbelievable reward for faithfulness and obedience to his kingdom. Make sense? Now maybe we live it out every day. God, thank you for this day. May your spirit just speak to our hearts, and may you just do an amazing work in our life. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy, powerful, and awesome name and for his glory. Amen.